for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is August 1st, 2023. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and with me as always, DJ Riley. What's going on, buddy? Man, it's uh, it's August first. Is it is it that hard to believe for you? Because it, it sure is me, man. It is kind of hard to believe, just because in like thirty days, twenty nine or thirty days, I'm leaving for Nebraska. <laughs> so like we're here. <laughs> I mean, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be up in a tree like this month, basically, or or at least leaving to go on that hunt. Like that is, it's uh, you know, in the beginning of the summertime, it always feels like you have basically all this you know three months of summer to get all this work done but then when you know when august hits you know even for us michigan guys or basically anyone that's october one you think well there's still two months left Mm -hmm. but when august hits it's like if you almost start feeling like the pressure of your trail cameras being dialed in or do you have them all out or have you found maybe a buck you want to go after or one that you're looking for that returned from last year where it's it's uh there's almost a little bit of uh pressure that starts to ramp up of like uh not anxiety but uh just making sure everything's ready to go kind of thing yeah that that pressure and the anxiety is definitely there i mean um you know i have a target acquired i have a couple targets acquired um just from glassing because i glass so much but i mean i don't even have half of my trail cams out and mm-hmm I don't even want to get into that because it's that's a that's a sore subject for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> a little touchy, a little touchy. How how was uh how was your weekend at the uh, expo at the mobile well, uh, hunters expo? Well, before we get into that, I I do want to drop some uh, partners real quick, and then we'll get right into that. So let's do it. Uh, I j- I just want to rip these partners off real quick, everybody. So first and foremost, uh, our website fallpodcast.com. Go there. Check uh, out the merch, check out some videos, um, can go on there and you can even listen to all the podcasts from the website if you'd like. It is fallpodcast.com. Go there, check it out. Um, and then, you know, first and foremost, Latitude Outdoors. Uh, I don't. I really don't know what else to say much about Latitude, the company, the gear that we offer and everything and the brains behind it. It's second to none in my opinion. Um, I have a code, you know, use the code the fall podcast, all one word, all lowercase, 
to save some money uh, on your next purchase. Get there. The ship or the sticks are ship shipping as we speak. Um, so if you order now, you know as you guys are listening to this, you'll be getting them in yeah roughly a month. I mean you'll for sure have them before season. So I know that's a big question people are trying to figure out is like when would I get them if I order them now? You will definitely get them before the fall. You'll probably have them early September. So. <clears throat> Get your order in now and uh, use the code the Fall Podcast to save some money. Uh, next is Helix Broadheads, single bevel design, the penetration, the accuracy, the dependability. You can measure your recovery in seconds with this single bevel broadhead. I've been shooting the FJ2s and the FJ4s, the brand new ones with the bleeders. And uh, I personally recommend the FJ4s. I've had a lot of luck with the FJ2s as well, but. The FJ4s, I honestly think if if great couldn't get any better, <laughs> uh, I think it was achieved here. Uh, they just upped the game. The accuracy level and the blood trails are just leaps and bounds above. Um, so check those out. Use the code FALLHX10 at helixbroadheads.com. Next is Exodus Outdoor Gear Trail Cam Season. We were just briefly talking about it. I mean, Velvet, hashtag Velvet Fest is going on right now. Um, get your cameras out. If you guys are looking for any new cameras, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check out the rival and the render. Use the code TF to save some money on your next purchase. It's a five-year no BS warranty with theft and damage coverage. Like I said, the rival or the render cameras, go and check them out. Order and use the code TF at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Garmin is another one. Garmin watches, Garmin bow sights, the A1, the A1i, or the A1i Pro. All of them are very good bow sights. I really love mine. Everybody knows that. David really likes his as well. He's been shooting a ton. It just builds confidence in the moment of truth. Go to Garmin.com, check them out, or go to your local Garmin dealer and get one now before season so you can start working with that thing. Also, like the watches, I said the watches are very, very nice. And I even have a Garmin InReach Mini. So the InReach allows you to basically send text with, without any service. So if you're hunting in those most remote places, you can stay in contact with your loved ones. And or if something goes wrong, you can hit a button, SOS button, and you'll have help there immediately. So go to Garmin.com, check that out. Next is Buck Bourbon. They have released their food plot seed. Uh, I am currently getting food plots or fall food plots ready and going to be putting some of that in the ground right now. They also offer the rack house ground blinds. So go to buckbourbon.com, type in the code TFP20 to save some money on there. They have a ton of other stuff on the website. I recommend you going to the website buckbourbon.com and just checking out everything that they have to offer. Um, you wouldn't be disappointed with any of that. So go there, use the code TFP20 at buckbourbon.com. The last two prime archery g5prime.com they're they make an awesome bow um i'm i'm shooting the rev x2 along with david as well uh, i have the morale riser with the black limbs and i i you know i started league last week and everybody kind of can follow along with those podcasts that we're putting out the day after we shoot uh, i'm in third right now in the league the standings came out last night the the club sent it and i'm in third so i'll be trying to ramp that up this week but uh the Rev X2 is is a big big reason why I'm shooting really well because it's it's an easy bow to get comfortable with. So check them out, G5Prime.com. 
The last one is America's Best Bowstrings. Get your orders in now if you want a new string at americasbestbowstrings.com. And to save some money, use the code THEFALL. So with that being said, let's get to uh, just catching up a little bit. So your question to me was, you know, we recently just went to the Mobile Hunters Expo down in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And boy, my experience was, it was awesome. Saw a lot of people. Sold a lot of stuff, you know, in the booth or latitude, dude. It was, I know you were like running the seminars and, and, and emceeing them and everything. So you weren't in the booth as much as I was, but dude, I'll tell you what, it was wild. Like, it, I, I mean, the amount of people that I talked to just me alone, I mean, we had a whole, all of our, basically eh, not quite all of us, but a big crew of us there and dude, we were all Saturday, I, I mean, I think there may have been like one or two lull periods where there really wasn't a ton of people walking around, but man, I, I felt like I was constantly drinking water, constantly like putting gum in my mouth, like don't want bad breath. We're talking to everybody, you know, um, and the sticks and the platforms and the saddles were well received. I mean, we moved a lot of gear. It was awesome. Yeah, I I second everything you said, you know, and like you, you spent some a little more time in the booth than I did, actually quite a bit more time, you know, because I was helping with the uh, the seminars. But it was funny because I was telling my wife that in between every seminar, I had 30 minutes and during that 30 minutes, I could come over, you know, go get go get a water and stop by the latitude booth. And like I I utilized every minute over there and we're like. We could sell two people sticks you know what i mean then right back to the seminars and and someone actually came up to me uh right before one of the seminars and they said man that that latitude booth is buzzing over there and i was like it's non-stop man it is yeah. non-stop but you know what what a cool event though um one the facility was honestly in my opinion like perfect for that like perfectly sized um you know location wasn't too bad but the way I've never been to a hunting show, you know, or I guess an outdoor show, however you want to cue it up, that was geared specifically towards one kind of quote unquote group of people. And when I say that, we're talking about mobile hunting. And I'm telling you what, if you were if you were into mobile hunting and you ever had questions about certain gear that you see on the internet, because a lot of that gear can't be, you know, bought or seen in stores, right? A lot of this stuff is online, and I think it's easy for people to look at it online, but then question if they'd like it or how it'd work. Dude, that event right there, if you want to try something out, that, that that's the event you have to go to, honestly. And then the, for me, the two things on top of it, the Latitude uh, the Film Festival, was awesome i mean i i don't care I, I bet you there's people out there that don't film their hunts and when you go to one of those events you're like oh i'm, I'm filming next year for get sure get you fired right up you know get you fired right up but on top of it not only you know you got to see a lot of you know friends that you don't get to see that often around there but man i i generally enjoy my time hanging around with the latitude crew every time you know like a lot of us come from different areas, heck, even different states, and then we can all get us together, dude. It's like, it's like we never skipped a beat, and I, I just enjoy my time around those guys, and you know, very like-minded people, great hunters, great humans. You know what I mean? Like that, that's important too. Great dads, like the whole thing. I, I, I yep. really enjoy those guys. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the film festival we had, the second annual Latitude Film Festival on Saturday night, right at or Saturday afternoon, right after the show, we put out 150 chairs and almost all of them were were full. I mean, we had a good turnout, had a nice big screen TV that was actually literally hooked to a trailer. Like that's how they bring it in. Great surround sound. Had a lot of films submitted. We actually had so many films that we had to cut films out. Cause we had to, we had time restraints that we had to, you know, abide by, abide by, and uh, we had eight banger films that we showed. Um, Jacob Emery ended up winning. His film was awesome. There was a lot of good ones. Gave out a lot of prizes. I mean, we had like, I think we had three or four giveaways during the whole film festival. In between films, Derek and I would give away some stuff, a set of sticks. We gave away Zamberlin, or no, we did not give Zamberlin. Was just a sponsor of it. Gave away some Helix broadheads, gave away, um, oh boy, a fourth arrow satellite arm, uh, just a lot of cool things. And then Jordan Susowitz from uh, Osable River Outfitters in Mayo, Mich- Michigan, he brought like 20 shirts and hats, like high-end shirts and hats. And we were just, he's like, just throw them out whenever, you know? So we were just kind of like chucking those in the in the stands to, or in the seats and everything. And I think a lot of people had um, had a good time. and. You know, I, you and I weren't there for Sunday. We had to come back home Saturday night, and I actually got off a marketing call with the Latitude team that we have every week right before this. And um, the guys that were there Sunday were like, man, there was a lot of buzz about the film festival. A lot of people really enjoyed it and had a good time. So I can't wait for next year. Honestly, man, we're going to try to ramp it up a little bit more. We want to get more people there. We want to have like more of like an experience, you know. And, and uh, so if you guys are hearing this, you know, we're coming into this fall. If you're filming your stuff, maybe look into, you know, trying to strive to maybe put a film out for the film festival. The The grand prize was $300 in cash, a Latitude saddle kit, a set of Zamberlin boots, um, a Garmin InReach Mini. So thank you to Garmin for, you know, uh, donating as well. And then, boy, I want to say there was one more thing. And I cannot remember what it is right now, but it, it it was just a lot of fun. And if you win the darn thing, you know, it's really neat. And the way we did it is the voting, we had the crowd vote. You know, it was a really cool voting process. It only took about a minute, minute and a half for everybody to cast their votes. And it was a lot like American Idol kind of thing um, where, you know, instantly. And we had a winner right there. And that, it, was, it was just a really cool idea and cool afternoon and just a good capper to the second day of the of the show. Yeah, and, and also, like, you, you think about kind of how it's timed up. It's kind of the opposite of what most hunting shows are. Most hunting shows, January, February, March, right? And I think that this was a big thing with the, the film festival. It's like, we're we're at the end of July, the beginning of August, for, like, people in their home hunting areas, like, they're seeing the velvet box right now. Some yep. people are, they're going to leave in 30 days to head to a velvet hunt where it's like, Hey, guess this film will get you fired up. Like it's 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 timed up really well because you know we are knocking on the door of deer season. I don't mm-hmm. like whether you like it or not. It's coming. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, man. It, just a lot of fun. Good weekend. Thank you to everybody that came out and you know had a ton of people at the booth. They love the podcast and they wanted to meet us and everything. So that was really cool. So thank you guys very much for doing that and coming around the booth and just chit chatting. That's awesome. So. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here much longer on this intro. We got a really good podcast today. It's with Troy Pottinger. It is the third installment of the Pottinger way. And Troy is literally 28 days out until he can hunt. So 
I think it's 28. It's somewhere in there. I think it's, it is 28, isn't it? Yeah, I think I believe he opens uh, August 30th. So, yeah, yep. 28, 29 days or so. Yep. yep. So we're going to – this is a good one. This is the third installment of the Pottinger Way. I know you guys will enjoy it. So with that being said, thank you for all the support and all the downloads. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, leave a written review as well. We want to keep jumping up in those rankings and also go to Spotify if you listen there or even if you don't listen there and give us a five-star rating there and uh, tell a friend about it. So thank you guys very much, and here is this interview with Mr. Troy Pottinger. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of The Fall Podcast, and today we have episode three of The Pottinger Way, Mr. Troy Pottinger in the flesh with us tonight. Thank God we could finally get our schedules you know, situated here. I've, Troy, I've been have people beating down the door. When's the next Pottinger Way episode coming? And I'm like, you know, it's it's not as easy when you're trying to get three guys to line up their schedules. And you and your wife have been trying to close on your property. And congratulations on on buying new property. That's awesome. Um, and you know, just a lot of stuff going on. So it's middle of summer. Well, you know, now we're here in August first, but. Uh, Dude, you're going to be hunting in 30 days. How does that feel? <laughs> uh, ready to go, man. I'm, it's what we live for. So I'm, I, uh, I'm pumped for this season. Just yeah. really pumped. Have done a ton of work this summer on myself. Done a ton of work on whitetails. Ton of work for my family. Just really freaking feeling good right now and excited about what's to come. As we sit here right now, 30 days out. How does Troy Pottinger feel about opening day and where everything sits from all the work you've done leading up into the intel you have? Where is your head right now? Are we feeling good? Or are we feeling still a little on the fence of like you got some T's to cross and I's to dot? Like where are we at? You know, I think I'm right in the center of all of it. I feel really good about the work that I've put in, the the bucks that I have to hunt, but I also dove into a huge new area this summer uh, in relationship to a property that I have now. So that's got me freaking super excited because I like knowing, I, like, I get really excited about what's out there in the unknown that I just set up. Like literally guys in the last 15, 20 days, um, to give you an example for five days straight, a few days back, I was averaging over 100 miles a day just covering ground in the mountains in my truck, about 100 miles a day of just getting the big picture of mine so that I could double back and lay it all out. And that was a couple of weeks ago. And now the layout is in full session and then jump back to everything that I already had to come back to this year and bucks that I'm after uh, got some really awesome whitetails to get after. And, you know, for my area, top tier bucks, just yep. some cool bucks. Yeah. I, I tell you there, there's, there's something special about always, you know, adding to your arsenal, you know, when it comes to property or bucks to hunt or places to hunt, like, you know, like you said, you've been un uncovering brand new ground all summer where it's like someone say, well, wh why would he leave what he has already? Where it's like, 
No, he's just adding to that catalog of spots and targets to actually hunt, you know. But, you know, when you, you talk about covering so much ground up there in the mountains, you know, 100 miles a day. Now, you know, before ever venturing up there recently, have you ever been up there and done any scouting at all? Or is that it's completely brand new to you up there? Well, just to say, to, to stay kind of private, I'll say that this is a big area that I know of. And again, guys, when we do the math, when you look at a couple million acres, I mean, be realistic. You can't cover it all in a lifetime in depth. So to answer your question, DJ, this is a, this is a portion of an area that I'm familiar with that I've never set foot in. Mm -hmm. And it's a portion that I've always wanted to set foot in. And, you know, the properties, the, the places that I, the place that I live and, and, you know, if I have some other properties, they're not positioned or I don't buy or have anything else out there just to hunt my own property because I'm hunting big woods, mm -hmm. but I locate myself in areas that are phenomenal for public land around me, if you will. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun for me. No fences. You know, the handcuffs are totally off and I go into my my world of big backcountry woods, whitetails and basically endless country. If, if you think about it, to dive into and if I'm willing to do the work, stuff's going to happen. Yeah. Now, you know, with with uncovering some of this new ground, you know, and I, I know you've looked at maps before you got up there and then, you you know, you're you're oh, driving yeah. around now. You know, mm -hmm. is this kind of like similar to like you feel comfortable in this kind of terrain and habitat or, or is this a kind of a change of pace for you up there? It, it's a little different because as you move across the map uh, in the direction that I'm headed, the elevations are a little different than what I'm used to up there. But there's there's some that are still the same. The habitat's a little different, which I'm enjoying um, it. In general, it's the same. But mm -hmm. there are nuances and parts of this habitat that are a little different. And I'm really enjoying that. But, you know, when I roll down the road, I have my base map running. I'm looking at every piece of terrain around me. So let's say I put 100 miles in in one day, which I did several days. It's pretty easy to drive 100 miles in a day if you go all day. It's really easy. What I'm do doing there is my base map is on my dash and I'm looking at all the topography as I'm driving all of these roads. And then when I get to lay eyes on it in person and look at my topography and see what's maybe down the mountain 500 yards or upper ridge 300 yards that nobody else can see because of the heavy timber canopy, that's the kind of stuff that is gold to me because I know where I need to dive off and if you looked at it from the road, you'd, you'd go, oh, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's you can't even see through this timber. But I'm looking at that big picture of all of it, the topography. And then while I'm running the roads, as I change elevations, I'm really paying attention to where the water is, where the good creek drainages are. I'm really paying attention to the vegetation, the habitat, the species of all the timber, all the feed, everything. I'm just like processing it on going, this whitetail country, this is whitetail country. Nope, this doesn't look very good. You know, I get to some big burns. 
I, I look at the age of the logging in the areas when I come across logging. So yeah, I'm just processing it all. And then I turn right around a day or two later, or four or five days later, after I get all my intel to me from those drives, and then I dive into it on foot, and then I put my sets in, and then I'm prospecting. Well, I got a lot to unpack right there, and I'm going to cut you off, DJ, because... No, you're good. You're good, You man. just triggered something in Troy. I got like three questions in one, and I'm going to forget them if I don't ask them all at one time. So guys, don't let me forget what these questions. First question is, as you're driving around, hypothetical, what is something when you're looking at your base map? So everybody that doesn't know what base map is, it's like an Onyx. It's like a, you know, it's a mapping software. So when you're looking at your base map, first of all, what, like when you're driving around in an area you've never been into, what is a piece of terrain that comes up on there that you're like, Got to stop. Got to dive in there. That's question number one. Question number two is, do you have an elevation line that you really like to start at? Because you could, you, I know where you're at. You could climb over a thousand feet of elevation in a day. You know where you're at, up and down, I would think. Um, do you have an elevation line? And then the third question is, talking about the burns, if you have a burn that has like you you know you can tell there's a hard line which would create a quote unquote edge. Do you look into that at all where the burn stops starts into the hard timber? Um so I know there's a lot to unpack right there but you know if if you could take it and you remember the my questions I would like yeah. to know what you're looking at. Yeah. Just help me stay on track with those three. So the first yeah. one was is there something that I noticed right away that really catches my eye? Where you got to jump out of the truck and you're like I got to get up there and look. Yeah, I well, just to be fair too, let's talk elevation. I go from 1,600 feet to 6,000. Yep. So guys, we're talking 5,000 feet, a change mm -hmm. and travel within up and down, up and down all over, four service roads everywhere. Um, but now you, you're rolling along. Uh, I start seeing the habitat that I like that I just, for years I've seen whitetails live in, very lush, very thick. And then when I find, what I really look for is places that, really get me excited or that I look for are places that do not look good to most guys. And what I mean by that is what I see may not be picture perfect from the road. It may look like a mess. It may look like pain in the ass, difficult, no fun, but I can look on my base map and see a few hundred yards away that there's a ridge and a, you know, a big bench or a saddle that I know the deer based on where the roads are laying, I know they use it to cruise and where they find their places to hide out and feed. And I really pay attention to water, especially early season guys. Um, I will say I hunt pretty high elevation in the early season because most of my bucks are trying to live a hermit, quiet type life. And when I say my bucks, old dudes, old guys that really don't want to hang out with other deer. Um, you've probably heard Ty say it. My old man always likes to go high. <laughs> because I like to hunt the old dudes yep. and that's where I find them. And it's usually in elk country or moose country up higher. Um, but no, I really look for to answer that first question is I look for stuff that's not obvious to everybody else. Cause I don't like being around people that screw up my hunts. Okay. So if I go to a, if I go to a place that's beautiful and that looks picture perfect and looks textbook from the road, guess what that looks like to everybody else. 
like it's textbook and is easy to get into and they can hunt it. Everybody, everybody walks into it. Everybody yep. finds it on their onyx. Everybody walks into it. Looks amazing. It'll have deer on it. And I just, the more I do this, the more I try to get away from people. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So now the next question would be the elevation line. Is there, and now don't give out too much. You know what I mean? I'm not here to expose Troy Pottinger, but is there some, like, give me a range. Like, is there a range that you're like, I know you like to go high, but is yeah, there. I, early season, it's simple biology of a whitetail old buck that's lived a lot of years. It's like us dudes. I come to my basement all summer because it's cold as hell down here and it's comfortable and nobody bugs me. Um, those big whitetails like to have solace and quiet and peace. And I find them in those elevations early season high. Uh, mm -hmm. I like. 4,000 feet to 6,000 feet or higher. Um, to be fair, I mean, I don't want to give, I mean, yeah. I got some sweet, yep. sweet numbers that I really like guys, but is that fair? No, that that's hundred percent fair. I'm not about ready oh, to yeah. give away, you know, at 4,762 feet, you're like killing every buck. You know, I'm not, I'm I mean, not getting ready to give that out. It, it, it's, it's interesting though, on every buck I've ever killed. If I showed you guys the elevations and early on early season deer, talking early season opener we're talking about the opener in 30 days if i showed you the elevations you'd be like holy shit like it's within a thousand feet mm -hmm. all of them yeah and and i i bet if guys you know well not guys but you they throughout the years that early season like i'm i i'm guessing that it has something to do with you know like a certain elevation, you start seeing certain vegetation along with how good that vegetation can be. But guess mm -hmm. what? You got to get your ass out there and go find that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and simply, guys, the temperature is so. So, for example, down at my property at like 16, 1800 feet, which is on a river. When I climb up to five to six guys or four, even thirty five hundred up about every thousand feet, you lose about five to ten degrees of temperature cools down mm -hmm. no, there, I like that. there you go there you go that yep. you, you know and you're talking you know august 30th is the opener out there in idaho so yeah those hot. temperatures do matter hot as hell august 30th out here it's 100 degrees in the yep. lowlands mm -hmm. yep okay last question was when you find a burn do you treat that as an edge you know that's creating some sort of an edge do you treat that the same way yes a burn is a food plot for freaking miles. Our our forest fires out here are huge. Yeah. And they burn a ton of ground. So the burns the following year are just lush green vegetation, guys. And it's mm -hmm. all about knee high to waist high. Perfect. I yep. I walked up on two whitetail bucks three days ago. Yeah, today is today's Thursday, right? Yeah. Uh Three days ago, I walked up on two whitetail bucks bedded, walking up to one of my cameras that I hadn't checked in a year and a half. And I put it out as a prospecting camera. And the reason I hadn't checked it is it was a spot that was a prospect and I never got back to it the first year. I wanted to let it run for a year because I was busy hunting other deer, chasing my son's football season. While the following season, last season, I was going to go check it and see if I needed to hunt it. And it snowed so much at that area that I couldn't get in. So it's basically almost been two years. And within a hundred yards of where my prospecting camera was, I jumped two whitetail bucks out of their bed and they're on the edge of a burn. And that burn 
I had the cameras sitting in the timber about 50 yards off the burn. And those bucks were laying in that burn in that tall grass. And I literally walked right up on them. They had, they did not expect to see a human at that elevation this time of year, walking out through the grass on them. Mm -hmm. And they're just feeding in those burns. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I look at the, that as like a clear cut around here, you know, uh, like clear cut is basically like a food plot around here. You know, when you get up North yeah, into the upper it, peninsula, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's food plot. It's a, it's a great food source after a year of regeneration. Mm -hmm. So I, I got a question for you, Troy, you know, you, you've talked about, you know, driving around this, this kind of somewhat new area to you, putting a hundred miles a day on there. Now, you know, I've spent some time up in Northern Michigan with a lot of, you know, bear hunting guys, and they were always continuously checking the sides of roads, you know, mainly up in Northern Michigan, there's Sandy, but they're always checking for tracks in the road to see if a big bear had crossed from one section to the other. Now, when you're out there driving like that, are you able to, you know, cut a track on some of those forest roads or is it too hard pack or is that something you're not really doing? That's a good question. Uh, the hard pack of the road is, is tough to see a track in, but I pay close attention to all the cut banks. So the cut bank is where the road was built, it's the steep side of the hill coming down to the road. And what I really watch is those trails coming off the cut bank that land in the road. And I will stop a lot, stop my truck, jump out, look at those heavily pounded trails off the cut banks. And I'll look to see what's in the trail itself for actual tracks. You got to remember, I got moose and elk out here too. Mm -hmm. But I love it. I mean, there's been, I mean, for years I've, I've done that and I jump out even right now in the hottest summer. And if you get a big buck coming down one of those cut bank trails, it doesn't matter if there's does, moose, mule deer, whatever elk in it, a big white tail is heavy enough to leave his big track. And even when he hits the road, he'll leave kind of an imprint, even in the hard packed mountain roads where you can see where he goes across and down. Then I'll look for the trails that bail off the low side. So yes, uh, something that I've done for a long time. And it's funny when I go drive with people that drive around, there's a couple guys that I've scouted with over the last few years. And it, I can always tell if a guy's really in tune with his whitetail scouting, just based on whether or not he looks at those cut bank trails, like even if he's putting eyes on them. Mm -hmm. And I rarely run into anybody that takes that seriously until they ride around with me. And then I'll jump out and stop and look at it. And I'll be like, what the hell are you doing? Well, I'm looking to see what's coming off this cut bank trail. Oh, that's just elk tracks. Well, come and look at it. No, there's a big white tail in this trail too with the elk or with the moose. And especially the higher I get in elevation, I see less deer tracks, but I usually see bigger solo buck tracks when I get up higher in elevation. So yes, to answer your question, excellent tactic on trails i think for anybody anywhere it doesn't have to be steep ground it could be flat ground mm -hmm. whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies and weatherproof options to withstand the elements hunters have to wait until their favorite season but shouldn't wait on gear which is why midway usa offers Super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.
MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, when I seen those, and this was years ago, you know, this was years ago, and I, I wish I would have started this earlier, but when I watched those guys up there doing that bear hunting, it instant, instantly in my mind, I was like, well, why can't I do that with whitetails? And, and I'll even do it during season where it's like, if I'm having trouble, you know, locating like, you know, within a couple three to four day window, if I'm having trouble locating a specific buck I'm after, man, I'll go check some sides of the roads. And all of a sudden, like, if you, if you know your tracks well, all of a sudden you're, yep. you know, now, now, you know, like, well, shit, he's on the other side of the road now. He's, he crossed the highway or whatever the case may be, where it's like, it can be, if you, you know, if you do your homework on tracks and you, you know the buck well, man, that can be, that can be extremely deadly. And I think it can even help a guy that's learning a brand new area. You know, one year can identify if it, you got a good buck in the area, then he can identify like out where you were at, you know, is he dropping low? Is he going up high? Like what, why is he crossing from one side to the other? Did I push him out? Maybe you like, you ever done that where it's like, you're out there scouting, go check the tracks afterwards. You know, maybe all of a sudden you're like, shit, I think I, I never seen him, but I think I pushed one out of here when I was in here. They, they're, uh, they can tell you a lot of information, but I was just curious cause I, I didn't know what those forest roads look like up there, you know, but I, uh, I figured a guy like you would, uh, be paying attention to that for sure. Yeah. And I try to get a, I get a map in my mind by looking at those cutback trails, low side and high side of the road. It gives me a really good idea where the heavier deer densities are, even if it means where the doe family groups are living. Um, it helps me put together the puzzle on where a mature old, you know, hideout hermit buck wants to be staged above them, especially early season before the rut where he's just, where he could be hiding out. Uh, and yeah, I, I pay super close attention to tracks, obviously in the snow. I'm a backtracking son of a gun outside of season. Uh, I love to track deer in the snow. So why wouldn't a guy pay attention to it year round, even in the dirt? And, and the truth is I pay attention to faint, faint, hard to even notice trails in all the tall grass. I watch all of that stuff. And when a big buck walks through tall grass, he spreads the grass out twice as wide as a doe or a fawn. Mm -hmm. So I pay attention to all that guys. Yeah. I like that. I like that too, because, um, Troy, I've got, I've got an area that I hunt that it's wide open. Okay. It's flatter than a pancake. There's ag fields all around. Um, there's a, there's a mild dirt road that divides these farm fields and uh i noticed this was a couple this was years ago probably five six years ago i noticed in the fall when i was doing one of my my tours my glassing in the morning both fields had been picked already the the you know just basically it was kind of wet the moisture was was up and the fields were kind of muddy and you know when you drive around and you see some fields and you can see the, like a heavily used deer trail that goes across the road and, you know, through with all the mud, you could see the trail. I mean, you could see there had to have been like a dozen deer go by this, like in one in one little swath. So I got out of the pickup 
And you could see where they went across the road. Well, I went and took a branch and I dusted the road, okay, on the, on the sides. Because my whole thing is, is I can hunt the w- little woodlots on each side. So mm-hmm. my whole tactic on that was dust the road. When I go hunting the next morning, I've got to go by there anyway. I'm going to check those mm-hmm. dust. And if I can cut a big track going which direction, I've got a pretty damn good idea that he might be in that, that timber section, you know, cause you can kind of yep. pick and choose where, you know, where you think he might be. Cause it's, you know, there's timber sections are pretty good distance apart. So I use that around here in wide open land too. You know what I mean? And, yep. and I think that's a great, great tactic because especially if, if, if it's easy access where you can just drive up to it and just dust it off and, you know, it's on the side of the road. So there's really no vehicles that will mess it up and deer will get concentrated, uh, in an area like that, even though it's flatter in a pancake right how, right now, what they use is this drainage. There's a drainage on the one side that divides both fields up and it's just a water drainage. It's CRP. Well, they use that drainage for the thermals. Well, that's where they cross the road. So I want to know what deer is doing it and what direction. You know, it is nice to know if if a if a good sized deer is doing it, like a big track. But I want to know what direction he's going to. Uh, that mm-hmm. that that's 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 a big part of the game. So I love that you, David, that you answered that asked the question, and I love how you answered it because that is something I even do here in vastly different terrain and different different scenario. You know. Yep, I think that brings up a thought on my mind too. I've probably never talked about, but when I check cameras right now, when I go to check and pull cards and overmark my scrapes and leave. I always grab a big fir branch. I break it off a tree and I dust my, my exit and entrance trail. I smooth it all the way out. I make sure there's no debris in it. And it, what that does for me is season's getting really close. I don't want anything in my trail to snap or make a noise and stuff is constantly falling in the woods. So I keep them clean. If I'm coming out, it's really easy to take that branch behind me and sweep it out. Mm-hmm. But what that also has always done for me is if I got a buck that's using my entrance and exit trail and I don't have a camera back on that because I got it over at my scrape or over, you know, beyond me where I think I'm going to kill, it's a dead giveaway for me on that deer if he's walking down my damn trail or not. So I like to see if they use it because deer will use your trails that you come in on because they're an easy path. So I've always done that too. And you sparked my thought there about that because dusting those trails out gives you a lot of info, no matter how you're applying it or why you're doing it. Just seeing those tracks tells you a lot about the deer you're after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and yeah. it's not necessarily, I mean, when I do it, it's, I know I'm coming back by there in the morning in the dark. So if anything hits that trail, I know what I can pick up what direction he's at. And, you know, I, I'm not picking out a specific buck, but I'm picking out a buck that I'm going to willing to hopefully to go after, you know, and I know, yep. I know what general direction he's in and I might be, I could be in the game or, you know, nothing might be, not, nothing may have went through there. So it's like, okay, it, that's fine. You know, maybe he crossed the, tr- the road somewhere else. I don't know. But if he did pass right there and I've had bucks do it, like it's, it's pretty cool to see actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Go ahead, Dick, DJ. I was just going to say, you know, as, as much as maybe listeners may be thinking right now that we're like, well, that doesn't sound like much. This You want to know what this conversation is right here? This is called the woodsmanship. 
this is woodsmanship right here. This is nothing that a camera is going to go tell you. Like, this is getting out there, reading tracks, reading where those tracks are, and pure woodsmanship. I, I freaking love it. Yeah. Yeah, it, and, and that, I, that goes, that's just the little things that they can be taught, but it's just out there doing it that could give you a, uh, an upper advantage on somebody else if you're hunting public or if you're, you know, anything like that. That's just like where you're at, Troy. I, I guarantee if I drive where you're hunting, I'm going to look around and I'm going to be like, holy shit, where do I start? You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And, and you've lived it. So ingesting DJ and I in, in a scenario like that, we're going to be like intimidated as hell. So any one of those little nuances can help you anywhere in the country any terrain, any any scenario, though that little nuance right there, or anything cutting tracks or you know picking out on direction, what way he's going, that can help you anywhere. You know that'll help you in any scenario and try it. You'll be surprised when you yeah. when you, when you try it. I I try to make sure when I look at a track too, I can usually tell if it's been there one hour, half a day. Two, a day, two days, you can tell, if you look at them close, you can tell whether or not there's any erosion in them, if there's any dirt that's moved in them. You can really, you know, if you really pay attention to that stuff and make yourself, especially these years, over time, you just look at a track and go, shit, he was just here, or that's about a day old. That's about two days old. So I don't think we talk about it enough because we all have trail cameras and we all have all this technology but the truth is, man, when you when you can really pick up on those natural little details that have nothing to do with technology, you're also you're also putting your mind in a in a position to be what you do and make better decisions versus just driving out in the woods and throwing out a damn camera. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. are you are you really, really in tune with what you're doing when you do that? No, yep. you're 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 hoping to get lucky and you're hoping that things work out. To me, the greatest thing about hunting these whitetails, one of the greatest things there is, is being like, I try to be just like, I, I really try to think like them. And I really try to, when I'm out, kind of become one and try to think like, why would I be here? Why would, you know, how would I move through this? How would I avoid all these damn humans coming into the woods? And then I really try to get in tune with the sign that different deer laying down. You can tell a lot about a buck's personality just by the sign he lays down, by the way he walks, by the way he tears a tree up, uh, by the way he addresses a scrape. You can tell a lot about his personality, you know, whether he's a, a real dominant, aggressive deer or if he's kind of a sit back and take it easy and be real careful, secretive deer. You can tell a lot just by being in tune with what you see out there without a camera. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more with that. That's yeah. That's good stuff right there, Troy. Yeah, and that the point that Troy just made about learning, you know, kind of that deer's personality, the more you can learn before it's time to hunt him, the better off your chances are going to be because it, it could determine how you are actually going to hunt him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, your tactics and strategy might change based on his behavior. They, mm -hmm. I mean, and if you're, if you're dialed into him that well, then he's probably in trouble. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree I tell more, you, man. One, one more, th one more, one more thing about the tracks before we move on from that. Um, 
I, I can't believe I haven't even brought it up yet. It just came to my mind is you give me a good rainstorm in the next 48 to 72 hours after it. I have, I have like a couple loops I'll make of areas that I know that hold good deer that, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours after rain goes through, I will go out and check those. And I know it, it, it doesn't sound sexy, right? It's in the middle of summertime. But checking those can tip me off to if one's in an area or not, you know. And I don't know if the same would be like that for you, Troy, because, you know, with elevation, the your rain probably has a lot more runoff than ours. But, you know, here in the, the swampy farm ground of southern Michigan, boy, it, those can hold some secrets in them for sure. I I really like checking stuff after a rain because it it basically gives me a clean slate and a beautiful map to look at on the ground. So I actually love it because our rains pound the ground. They kind of just, it's like, it's almost like they sweep the ground. So for me, yeah, that's really, it's really uh, productive to check after rains. And I really like check, checking my scrapes after rain. Uh, I, I try to usually go in this time of year on all of my invasions, kind of midday when I feel like the heat has my big bucks bedded. Um, I try to stay out of all my sets right now, guys, cause I'm getting so close, uh, evening and morning are no, no for me right now. All my checks are like 11 to two or three. Remember it doesn't get dark out here till nine. So mm -hmm. I like that 11 o'clock to like three o'clock check. If I'm going in on it, especially a deer that I want to kill or that I hope shows up versus a prospecting brand new spot that I might check the it'd be the first check on it after a month. I'm not as worried on timing there because it's brand new and I don't know anything about it yet. But when it comes to a target or a potential target, I really watch my window of time to check those because I'm 30 days out. Yeah. <laughs> You're 30 days out, Troy. How does that feel right now? I know I asked you that in the beginning. I'm envious right now. <laughs> I'm well, ready. I'm ready for him, man. I'm happy for him. <laughs> Well, guys, it's 40. This will be 40, year 42. I've hunted whitetails for 42 years this season. Because I'm 53. I, let, me, let, me, let me ask you something with that comment right there, Troy. And it, I think <laughs> it's going to piggyback really well with our discussion right now. You know, you've been at this a long time. And a listener can think of where, like, holy cow, like, he's breaking down this brand new area. He's driving you know, hundreds of miles, just trying to learn it. But how much of this is a, a long game for you? You know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, yeah, you'd like to see results this year, but like you, I'm guessing that you also know, like th this is the long game. This is for years of building, you know, knowledge and patterns and just everything you yeah. can know about that area over the years. Not just, not just today, not just tomorrow. Like this is a long game. Yeah, it's a, it's a decade long decades game. It's uh, I'm doing stuff right now. My son's got three years of college football left. I'm doing stuff right now that might put him in the game four years from now on a stud, and maybe put me in the game and him in the game for the next two decades, at maybe a specific spot. And the reason I can say that is I have those spots that have produced mm -hmm. for twenty and thirty years. Now, are they easy? To find and establish? No. Takes a lot of freaking work. But I have stuff that are I have some spots that are three decades old. 
that if you guys came out and hunted with me, I'll bet you'd be slinging an arrow at those spots. And the long game to me is huge. It's everything. It's the big picture of it all. Uh, when I'm dead and gone, my sons will be able to hunt off of what their dad laid down. And that's super important to me. And like their kids, like that's really important to me when I'm dead and gone. Um, that it's like dad, dad put these roots in 30, 40, 50 years ago. I want my grandkids to say that grandpa did this, mm -hmm. you know, and I still got bucks hitting those scrapes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. That gave me chills because it's like, you know, that's, that's a lot of hard earned work right there, man. That's uh, that's a lot of consistency. That's a lot of work, a lot of miles spent, you know, and you, you brought up a, you brought up um, a thought in my mind where you're like, you know, you've got spots that are three decades old. Now, is there a spot that, you know, there's got to be a spot. Have you, okay, let me ask you this. Is there a spot that has produced multiple bucks for you? I mean, like more than two or three? Yeah, there's. Thanks. My wife's handing me something very important. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm going to answer that. You guys will laugh. He found them. SD cards he found for cameras. Found the really important SD card. That's that's more than gold, right there, Troy. <laughs> yeah, that was a big like discussion we had before this podcast. That's All right, funny. I've got okay. I've got one, two, three, four. Okay, I got a spot that has. Uh, a mid 140s velvet, a 150. These are all scored by Ben and Crockett. Gross. 150 velvet, a 166 hard horn, and my 185 and a half hard horn, all the same spot. And different times of the year. year. Obviously, with velvet, you had a couple velvet deer in there and a couple hard horn. So different times of year. August, August 30th, October, or August, October. September. Oh, I, I forgot a 174 back here. So November. So everything but December. Five bucks. Sorry, five bucks off the same spot. That's cool. That's so cool. Now that's guys, guys. That's what's uh, 2003 to right now. That's what 20 years. Mm -hmm. 20 years. Same ridge. Yeah. And you know, and, and I'm gonna say same spot, guys, because it's two different scrapes, but they're only couple hundred yards apart and I hunt them based on the wind. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that's the same spot for sure. Yeah. I got all them bucks on the same on the both spot or both little tiny locations on that Ridge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I brought up that the long game comment because it's like, we live in a world where I think a lot of people and especially say maybe, you know, new guys just getting into hunting and wanting to hunt, you know, mature animals there. It's like, everyone wants results tomorrow right we all do but like this game man it's it this is a long game learning new pieces of ground you know building history with a certain deer you know building history with certain locations where it's like guys like you you got to look at this as a long game i think you you truly do and i think troy's a, a perfect example of it a perfect example you know that spot you just talked about it's a, it, it's an amazing spot you know you're talking a handful of bucks over 20 years He's played that long yeah. game there and he's learned that. Yeah. And guys, I got to, this just, I mean, you guys sparked my memory a lot. The buck I killed this year, 
So a 170 class gross, a 160 class gross, a 130 class gross. Did I kill any of And Tyson, let me think here. Okay. A 140 class gross that I hit in the brisket and didn't kill him. And then Ty had a 155 that he couldn't get a shot on. Five bucks, same tree stands over... I'm going to say 12 years, same exact scrape, including the one I killed this year, man. So there's the long game. There's the long game working for me at a different spot. Yeah. Now let me add this. Some of these spots get destroyed. They get ruined by other people. They get, they get ruined. They get wrecked by a clear cut or a logging, but a company that comes in and has to log it. Hey, that's, that's their deal. Do I have tons of these? No, but, do I strive to find these places that are just incredible? hundred percent because, I mean, look at the rewards I just shared with you on two spots. One's about 12 years of hunting it. The other one's 20. Yep. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking eight bucks, guys, eight or nine deer. I, I mean, yeah. And, and opportunities too. hit one in a brisket years ago. Ty got hung up behind a limb on an absolute stud. And couldn't get a shot off, just stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I got it. I got a great question for you right here, Troy. When you're, you know, you you're continuously trying to find new areas, find new targets. You know, you're you're as we speak, you're just coming off of scouting some brand new ground. Yeah. Over the years, when you when you're scouting new ground and you maybe learn something new on a brand new piece of ground. Has that ever helped you kind of like open your eyes on something maybe you've hunted in the past that like, hey, maybe this would work here too. Or maybe, maybe I need to, you know, take this idea and plan it into areas I've hunted in the past before. Does that ever happen to you? I think it happens a lot. I think I, I'm always trying to learn and I'm always just wanting to be better and I'm never satisfied. Like I truly just, man, I have this care about being better at what I do and not making so many mistakes because if we don't talk about it enough, the mistakes that I've made, the hard lessons that I've learned, the ones that hurt really bad, those are the ones that taught me the most to like really get freaking locked in on everything I do because the effort takes so much that the failure hurts. And for me, I don't like to fail. So I'll go back, DJ, to places that I didn't set up good enough, that I wasn't detailed enough, or I didn't take the time to break it down like I should have. And, and usually what that means is I paid a price in there and alerted a deer to me and ruined it and ruined my chances on him. And I got out of the game because I made mistakes. I'll double back into those places years later, look at it from an older, I'll just say little wiser perspective that I have now, which I want to be a lot wiser five years from now. And I want to be a lot wiser when I'm in my sixties and I want to be able to do this till the day I die. So for me, I do double back and improve things. And I've actually made some spots better by doubling back later and saying, this would work better here. If I just do this, if I just make this adjustment, if I just move this stand away and maybe build this mock scrape over here 60 yards away instead of where 
I killed one buck off of it and probably got lucky because I didn't have it set up great and then could never kill another one there, even though the deer are there on camera. So hopefully, does that answer your question? No, absolutely, man. You know, it's be because I, I found myself doing that, you know, where it's like come across a new piece of ground. Yeah, I'll go in there and scout it or I'll I'll even hunt it and I'll learn a lesson in there where it's like, man, you know, I have this other piece I've been hunting for three years and maybe I'm struggling a little bit on it. But I learned something on this brand new piece where it's like, hey, I'm going to take this and go apply it and to this other it. piece over yeah. here. And it's just yeah. like and there's a there's a really big part of me that you know listening to what you got going on this summer out there in idaho troy it's like you you know early on in this conversation i asked you is this is this new piece kind of different and you says it is different in my mind instantly i'm like he's gonna learn like he's gonna learn more oh, yeah. than what he came there with you know what i mean because and then mm -hmm. maybe he'll take something from there and be able to apply it to an area he's been messing around with 20 years, you know, where it's like, I, yeah. I think just being open-minded, you know, always being a student of the game, but always kind of, you know, just even if it's just walking, even if you sometimes can't even hunt the particular ground, if you're just walking it and learning it, man, it can help you w with your hunting in other areas also. Yeah, I'm going to have to learn, and I always let the deer teach me, and I pay close attention to them. I'm going to have to learn this new area. The deer are going to teach me. Mm -hmm. um, I can't go in there thinking I freaking know everything because you don't. Yeah. I, I always, I always, always adhere to let the deer teach you. I've said that in some of my first podcasts, I, young listeners, you can listen to a million podcasts and listen to smart guys, but you still got to go let your deer in your environment you have to pay attention to them because they'll teach you more than any human will if you lock into them. But you really got to get locked in. And that takes discipline. That takes effort. That takes like loving to do it. If you don't love to do it, you're probably not going to be real good at it. I'm just going to yep. be honest. Mm -hmm. Because you got to be a freaking nut over this stuff. And, and I, I mean, I find my greatest rewards in learning a lesson. Getting a little better rewards me as much as killing a deer. Like I, I want to be better just so that I don't make as many mistakes. I don't like making mistakes. So I hate to fail, but I'm not afraid to. Not afraid to fail, but I don't like it. And I've always been that way. So this whole process of diving into this new country, like you said, give me a breath of fresh air. I was, I'm excited because it's different, but it's still the same, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yep. Is, is, yep. is nope, elementary, it. is it as elementary as that sounds? let the deer teach you that is yes. powerful that is one of the one of the best like quotes i've heard on a podcast and i've been listening to podcasts for a long time it's that it can be that simple like yep. just that's overlooked Aaron. it's overlooked you've got to let those deer teach you you've got to get locked in you've got to be a woodsman i mean if you really want to learn the deer will teach you everything if you pay attention to what they're showing you well and also in a sense like let them teach you like everybody wants yes. the the magic pixie dust to happen overnight everybody wants to yep. kill a booner overnight troy it doesn't happen you know just as well as no, anybody else yeah it doesn't and you know uh jared Adoti says it there's no magic pixie dust. i've been 
copying his statement for years. That guy's a smart dude. There isn't. And I've always felt the same way. I, I don't rely on luck. I, I am not a luck guy. I, I love to learn. I mean, it's probably why I'm a teacher. I love teaching and I love learning. So the white tails, you got to let them. And like you said, you got to be open to it. And here's what happens. People get something in their mind. They get a tactic or a strategy that they hear or a trend. And they think, well, shit, that guy killed a booner, so it's going to work for me. Well, no, you got to step back and look at your scenario, your equation, dive into it. Let the deer teach you what they like and dislike. Let, let them teach you everything about them, but you can't let them teach you. Think about being in a classroom. You don't learn nothing in a classroom if you're not locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You don't. How many, how many classes did we sit through in middle school, high school, and college, didn't learn a damn thing? Cause it wasn't interesting. And our mind was on whitetails. Yeah. Well, yeah. I love hunting deer. Why would you not be totally locked in when you're out there walking through the woods? You know, I talk about walking. I walk when I get into a area that is like, I feel it. I slow way down, way down. Yeah. I slow down and I take it all in and man, I take it all in guys from the thermals to the wind, to the vegetation, to the terrain features, to, the surrounding area for miles around me to all the roads that make sense, people driving in and out. Uh, when I hunt the Midwest or hunt the South where it's small parcels, I'm taking it all in every little aspect, every use all five of my senses all the time to take it all in. Yeah. You know, Troy, I've got a permission piece that, uh, uh, a dirt road divides it. Okay. I can hunt on both sides of the road. And when you look at it, when you look at both sides of the road, they don't look too awfully different, okay? Um, they don't. But both sides of the road, you have to treat vastly different. I mean, so different. And I learned the hard way because there's just little, I'm talking little nuances that mm-hmm. it might be a neighboring farm and something that that maybe a drainage leaning into or uh leading into one side of the road on one piece of the you know let's let's talk about the west side of the road if there's a drainage leaning leading into that piece but there's not on the east side of the road it it just it just is different okay the deer act different i've got on one side of the road there will be no bucks on it from the spring until August. No bucks. You will not glass one. You will not get a picture of one. You will not see one. But on the east side of the road, or the opposite side of the road, that's where you see them. And I ask myself, why? That's when you start breaking down, what do the deer have in the summer over there that they don't have over here? And why? But then when it comes to the fall, then it disperses. Okay, and then you've got to treat it even differently there. Like they both sides of the road, they 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 almost flip. And 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 I don't want to get people want to know what's going on, but I don't want to give too much away because you people right. would know. But like I'm just saying, there could be a road dividing a piece of farm a piece of ground, and you could have to treat it vastly different. And that it's yeah. that it it just breaks down to that simple right there. I, I don't yeah. know if that's yep. simple, but it's, it's no, crazy. It's... No, I, I, 
I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And you it's know, just, and, and, and it, could, it, this, it could come. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I've walked. I can't even, I can't even count how many miles I've walked over the last decade. And here's the one thing that I can tell you that is 100% sure. I've never cr- came across this two acres that are the same. Never. You know what I mean? So when it comes to, you know, ground, like you're talking about, there's no two acres the same out there, buddy. And no. everyone's a little bit different and everyone can hunt a little bit different. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And guys, even in the big woods, it's the same way. I've hunted spots on one side of the road versus the other. And it's completely different, even though the habitat is exact. Mm-hmm. How because of how the deer choose to use it based on what's based on all the different factors in there. Yeah. Yep. And it could break down as simple as one side, you know, one side of the road doesn't get as much pressure as the other side of the road. Or it could break down to one side of the road has a little bit more cover than the other side of the road, or they choose the food on one side over over the other. It's that that minute, that micro, mm-hmm. ri- literally. Yeah. You know, um, it can it can be a better wind on one side of the road than the other that helps them feel safer, or if it's an open area, maybe they got better vision 100%. on one side of the road than the other, or a little water hole on one side that they want in yeah. the summer that they yeah. don't have on the other side. You know. And that's where woodsmanship comes into play, where you start picking up on all that little stuff. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Okay, so we're an hour into this. I don't wanna, I don't wanna keep going too far because I think we've covered a ton tonight. But I've got to ask a question, Troy. Let's commence on this. Don't give away too much, but we're thirty days out from the opener. Do we have a target located? Do we? Do we know? Do we know where we're, who we're going after? Multiple states. Well, you have them in multiple states, as you're saying. Oh, oh, I love the look. If people can't see the look, <laughs> Troy is so confident right now, and I flipping love it. I love it. I don't mean to. I don't mean to look like that. I'm just thinking. Yeah. No, that, oh, that no, I just. I love it, man. Lou Holtz just gave a. Uh, I'm gonna run through a brick wall speech in the in the locker room, and Troy's like, "I'm fucking going to kill." <laughs> hey, you know. We're, we're all men and we're all wired different too. And I'm just wired like that, man. It's just what we live for. And yep. Yeah. I got, I got, a, I got multiple targets in both states. I love it, man. I love it. So we're 30 days out. Do you now, I know a lot of shit can change. A lot of stuff can change. It could change down to like the night before the opener, but are you starting to formulate a plan of like, you know, if he's here, or if he's here, this is where I'm going to go, or this is what I'm going to do. Like, where, where's your head at with that whole situation being a month out? Thank you. 
Uh, <laughs> DJ talked about the long game. I got two bucks that I've raised on my scrapes that I built four years ago. They're both seven this year. I've left them alone on purpose. Those bucks, I know them pretty well. Yeah. Four years of raising them on those scrapes. Uh, I got those deer dialed. Uh, if I play my cards smart and don't make mistakes, I have a really good shot at either one of them. They're both about the same caliber, that 170 mark gross, which is a really big mountain deer. They're right around that. They're hovering right around that 68 to 72 range, which is interesting. I have raised them both on two different scrapes across the drainage, and they both use both scrapes, but they both adhere to one the majority of the time. So they kind of each own one, but they'll cross over. So those two deer I'm definitely really interested in. Uh, got another deer in a different state that, yeah, I'll shoot him if he comes by. He's a, <laughs> I love he it. is a, He's a once in a lifetimer if I kill him. I love um, it. You don't have to say more, Troy. Uh, I don't. You don't have to give away too much because when you yeah, do, and, when you and, do arrow and, one of these deer in the first couple of days, we're going to get you on another podcast and we're going to talk yeah, about it. And, so and my goal, my goal this year is I want to kill at least one good one. You know, I it took me two years of tie playing ball to get this, get my life figured out and my whitetail life figured out to be really like even be, it forced me to even be more efficient. So this is going into my third year of his schedule. I feel really good about how I'm doing things now compared to three years ago with his schedule so that I can be super efficient and kill on the first, second, third or fourth set and be done. I haven't been very good for a while early season. I haven't been, I've killed some velvets, but it's kind of a thorn in my side. I'm like, I want to kill one of these big deer, at least one, the first week is my mm -hmm. goal. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't happen, you won't hear me crying or whining. I'll just, all right, what'd you do wrong? What, what, what isn't working? But my goal out of the two states that I'm hunting hard, I want to kill one in the velvet. And if I happen to kill two in the velvet, I'll have a second tag for one of my two states. So I could end up killing three. And I also haven't killed two bucks in a while in the same season. Yep. And I want to be, I want to do that and accomplish that with my son's football season. I want to prove to myself that I can be that efficient and dialed to kill two per year, even if I'm never hunting on the weekends, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, that's that. I love that. I love those goals. And to be like you just said, you're going into your 42nd year of hunting for you to be just as fired up as little Troy was 42 years ago, probably dude, I freaking love that. And I cannot, I hope I'm that same way when I'm your age and just <laughs> like, you know, I just love to see the enthusiasm that you have. And we can obviously see you. Nobody listening can see you. We can see you. We can see your expressions. You're ready, man. You're locked. You're locked in. You're focused. Let's get it done. I love it. Yep. I'm almost yeah. back to my college football goal weight too. That a boy. That a nice. boy. I've yeah. lost 22 pounds and I'm working on 30. That a baby. Good. I mean, I'm serious. Go. I mean, I needed to. I'm at that age, guys, where I it it you got to do it. You got to do it, and you got to do it. You got to do it, or you can't do what you love to do. Yep. Good for you, yeah. Troy. I got it. 
got what I got a question for you real quick, Troy, before we wrap this up. Now you just talked you just told us about the two bucks that you've kind of raised on these two scrapes. So you you've watched them for years. Do you, is it a high probability to kill one of these in velvet in in your gut feeling, you know, you've watched the that historical data over years. Do you have a really good chance at killing one those first couple days of season? I actually do because they hold both of them hold their velvet till almost September. They're usually for the last four years, the earliest one of them has ever shed his velvet was September 4th. Okay. So that gives me six days right there. A couple different times, these guys have held it till almost the 10th. Now, do I get all those days off to hunt? No, I work and I'm going to be on my son at my son's football games. Mm-hmm. But guys, those deer holding that velvet that long gives me a little more of a chance, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they hold it usually till at least the fourth. Yeah. Yep. On the historical data on both of them. Now it let's I want you to kill one early, because I freaking love velvet box. I want you to kill one of these, Troy. But if it doesn't yeah, happen, too. give me <laughs> give give us a three to four day window from the history that you've built with one of these bucks. Outside of that opening week, give me a three to four day window when you think you could also kill him if it doesn't come, if it doesn't happen opening week. On any of my velvets that I think I got a chance on? On one of the two that you know, the the two that you've that kind I of watched. Kind of, yep. Those yep. Two that it's, yeah. I think they're in trouble all the way till middle of September with me. Historically, because of the elevation they live out and they're totally hermits, they daylight and frequent my scrapes pretty darn good until more archery hunters get out and start pounding the elk woods, if okay. that makes sense. I forgot yeah, about that. 100%. You're going to have elk pressure soon, too. Yeah. yeah, I get all the guys in the woods. by The guys that really hunt the elk woods hard in the rut just hammer the shit out of the mountains from September 10th till the end of the month. My bucks adjust to that, and then they just get real nocturnal, but they really don't leave me. They just lay low. So if I have to make a move and be, you know, I've always talked about being hybrid. I might have my scrape roll and everything great, but if he starts just nighttime and I'll move right at him where I know he's bedding and try to get in on him if I believe in my heart I can get it done. I don't really want to blow him out because these bucks are kind of homebodies. They stay and they adhere to my doe groups there and my big scrapes that I have built. They're both mocks. They have ra- been raised on them, so they run them, and they ran them last year on a full two cameras, both spots, the whole year, and I didn't hunt them at all. They stayed in there till the last bucks that were ever in there till the snow pushed them out in December. Mm-hmm. So they're homebodies, but they also go out and rut, but I have a shot on either one of these bucks till the season's over unless I get snowed out early. But I hope the plan is to get one of those two killed in the velvet right out of the gate. There we go. I love it, man. I, I'm pulling for you, buddy. I can't wait yep. to see the picture. So am I. Troy. We need a we need a big grip and grin with full velvet this year. I like about, that. I'm about to. I like that. Troy, one last question. Okay. Pick out one of these deer, okay? If you had your cake and could eat it too, what wind are you looking for? What temperature are you looking for on the opener 
what what you know forecast are you looking for if you could have the perfect scenario what are you looking for to kill one of these deer opener you know they're the only thing they're doing is water feed and checking a licking branch that's all they're doing and i'm close to their beds yep i need a west i need a west wind i need a west wind i'd like it to be 8 to 10 12 miles an hour i'll come in from the east and i don't i don't really care how hot it is during the middle of the day but I like that wind. It'll cover any noise. If I can get a little bit of wind current, which up there I can, even in the summer, I need that current to get me to my stand where I make no noise at all. Just a little bit of wind and noise. West wind in my face. This deer will come at a 45 into this spot. It's what he did all last year to address this scrape. He'd come in at a 45 early season in the velvet and he'll show up in the last 30 minutes of daylight because all he's doing is coming to the straight and then he's going at a 45 across my face to a creek that's 40 yards from me and that's where he waters um the flat that he comes across has huckleberries all over it and the huckleberries will be kind of tailing off and almost gone but there's great vegetation out on that flat it's a bench it's it, i say flat it's a bench um and i'm just sitting off in the corner to the east and he'll come off with a 45, that west wind will 45 across his face and kick my scent right back to the creek behind me. But he drinks out of that creek. I've got his trails and his tracks down to the creek. I mean, I, I know where he walks. But again, guys, long game. Mm -hmm. Leaving him alone. Mm -hmm. Letting him get full. Like my Tyson chewed my ass for not hunting him last year. You know, he's six years old, Dad. And I'm like, well, I got a better buck. <laughs> so... Both of these bucks are seven years old this year. We're pretty sure we got the numbers right on them. Yep. The, the youngest they could be is six, but we're pretty sure when they were two and a half and three and a half that we had that right. I love it, Troy. Yeah. Hey, guys, well, how cool is this? Troy just laid out exactly how he wants this hunt to play out. And it hit on the topics that we've sat here and talked about tonight. The long game. What did Troy just say? He why does he know that deer's down in that creek? Because of the tracks. He know like you know what I mean. We're like we've covered that stuff. We've talked about it. Why it's so important. And those factors are playing in for that August thirtieth opener for Troy. Like those exact reasons. Yep, I love it, man. It's a good way to end it, Troy. Good luck in thirty days. I know we're gonna be texting and everything. I, I, I cannot wait to get the text or the phone call that you hammered one of these deer. Because, I mean, I think if I go back a couple months, you said, you know, I asked you, if you kill one, can we have the first podcast? And I think you said yes. So I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> you, you got it, buddy. No, really like, I really like doing this stuff with you guys. You guys are great. I appreciate it, Troy. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate right it, Troy. On. Yeah, good seeing you guys. Take care and good luck on all your scouting, all the work you guys are putting in. What are you guys, a month behind me? Yep. Yep, we'll be a month. Well, when you're in the opener, I'll be in Nebraska filming uh, for our velvet hunt. So when you're there, I'll be soaking up the rays, you know, not too far from you in Nebraska. So Awesome. Good luck. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Sounds yep. good, guys. See you guys. Thank you.
miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.